This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Thanks for being with us uh, on this Sunday morning. As you might have heard in the news, a B.C. Supreme Court judge this past week ruled that the practice of indefinite and prolonged solitary confinement uh, when talking about the Canadian prison system is unconstitutional. This was a ruling that was released on Wednesday. And joining us to talk a bit more about this is uh, Raji Mangat, Director of Development and Engagement with West Coast Leaf. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me on the program. I'm actually the Director of Litigation. Oh, my apologies, Director of Litigation. Uh, Talk a bit about, uh, I I know West Coast Leaf uh, involved in this, uh, following along uh, very closely. What is your reaction to uh, this ruling, to this decision? Um, We think it's about time uh, that solitary confinement, prolonged, indefinite solitary confinement is recognized for what it is, unconstitutional. Um, So this has been something that uh, many have called for uh, over the years, and we have seen a lot of resistance from the Correctional Service of Canada um, for even having this recognized as solitary confinement. But this judgment uh, is really quite comprehensive. It goes through the history of the use of this practice. It talks about the harms in, in a very thorough and substantive way. So we're quite pleased with this judgment. Uh, is there a big difference, or can you talk a bit, because what was discussed in this case or what came up was the two types of solitary confinement, disciplinary segregation and, and administrative segregation. Do we know, or maybe you can tell us exactly what that is and how often it's used? Um, sure. So disciplinary segregation uh, is as it's what it sounds like. It's something that's used as an additional punishment um, for someone in prison who violates some rule um, or some r- rule, that sort of thing. So it, it has limits on it. It's an additional punishment for a particular action. Um, administrative segregation, on the other hand, is quite general in the sense that it can be used for uh, sort of preserving the security and safety of the institution or for the safety of an individual within the institution, the prisoner, him or herself, or others. So it, ha- it has a broader kind of purpose behind it, and it's therefore a lot more discretionary in terms of its use. It also doesn't have any caps on it. So someone can be placed into administrative segregation for a long time, and we know from over the years of various instances of uh, reporting on the use of administrative segregation that it has been used for very, very long times, including up to years, and it doesn't have any external review mechanism as well. So it's a decision made by those within the prison to put somebody into this type of segregation, um, and then it's not reviewed by anybody outside the prison either. And so those are those are two differences between that and disciplinary segregation, which does have caps on it and is subject to review. And do we know how often or how common a practice this is? Um, I think uh, administrative segregation, though re- in the more recent past, they've been using it a lot less. Um, historically, it's been used quite commonly, quite frequently, um, I don't have numbers off the top of my head, but certainly, you know, at the end of any year, you could see up to several hundred people, I would think, um, particularly more men, obviously, than women, because more men are in the prison system than women are. But um, it was quite commonly used, and the duration would vary. Uh, sometimes it could be for a short period of time. Sometimes it could be for very long periods of time, and that's because there was no 
um, cap on it, and there's no way for anyone external to review it. And and I know you've, as interveners, or you've talked about this as well, and the fact there are more men in the system, but mm-hmm. for women who are incarcerated, they can experience more trauma, more damage from being placed in solitary confinement. Yes, that's right. And that was evidence that was presented um, to the court in this case. And though the judge did not find that there was a disproportionate impact on women generally, um, he did observe that Indigenous women are particularly harmed by the use of this prolonged and indefinite solitary confinement, and then mental health, uh, people with mental health concerns as well. And we know, um, given sort of the kinds of trauma that many women have experienced before they've gone into prison, um, that solitary confinement only exacerbates that trauma. It only makes that trauma um, and history of abuse experience far worse. So there is definitely a disproportionate impact on women, particularly um, Indigenous women and women experiencing mental illness. And that was the the rationale for our participation in this case was to sort of highlight that there is this disproportionate impact um, and that women's experiences of solitary confinement are somewhat unique. And so what is the, what is the alternative then? Because people will hear this and agree, I think, in for the most part, that this does sound like a very, uh, very harsh punishment. Uh, but we're also dealing with people who have been convicted of something who are in the prison system. And for, for some reason, I think we, we assume are being put in solitary confinement. Uh, so what is the alternative? Well, I think, I mean, I think there are alternatives. Uh, it's very rare that there's someone who's going to be um, such a risk that they need to be entirely by themselves. I mean, we're talking about 23 hours a day of confinement. Uh, You know, it is really hard to think of who is that person who, for the safety and the security of the institution, or for their own safety and security, um, needs to be placed in that kind of extreme deprivation, right? So I think that the the correctional service will have to think a lot more creatively. They'll have to be a lot faster when it comes to transferring people between institutions. And and also I think that, you know, this does cast a light on, well, what are the rationales being used? Is solitary confinement, um, was administrative segregation being used uh, relative, as a sort of a relatively easy response to things that are very complex and that maybe the prison system shouldn't be dealing with at all, like prisoners with mental illness? Um, Are we just warehousing people who experience mental illness in prisons without providing them with any of the sort of supports and assistance that they might need? Because we know that people get released from prison. The vast majority of the people in prison today will be released someday. Um, We need to hold our systems accountable that they're not making people worse off. Uh, right. And and I would imagine, though, that solitary confinement is used as a deterrent, although I guess you could question how effective that is in that jail itself should be a deterrent to breaking the law or to being a criminal. Uh, but if it's being used as a deterrent, and I guess it's different if we're talking about somebody with a mental health issue, but sh- is it not being used as a you are not to attack prison guards, you're not to incite riots, you're not to attack other people or cause harm in this prison system? Because if you do, you are going to get this very harsh punishment. 
Well, I, I think that that's the difference between disciplinary and administrative segregation, right? Um, you know, the disciplinary segregation is intended to act as an additional punishment, as a, a form of perhaps deterrence. Uh, but administrative segregation is used for these far broader purposes um, and actually results in people having far more difficulty adjusting in the institution, which is maybe the rationale for putting them there in the first place. So you sort of have this cyclical situation where the the justification for placing somebody in that form of solitary confinement is actually worsened by placing them in that form of solitary confinement. And so you you have this kind of, as I said, cyclical situation. And and so I think that, you know, when we're we're thinking about well what are the reasons why people might be placed in solitary confinement for an indefinite period of time that they have no idea when they're going to be released from it and they have no um effective way of having their placement reviewed. I think taken as a whole, you know, the judge came to the right conclusion. This is actually harming people and it's disproportionately impacting indigenous people and people with mental illness. And so it's sort of less about, you know, isn't this a valid tool and more about, well, what what are we deterring? I mean, if it's somebody who's having difficulties adjusting in the institution because they have um, they have some mental illness that's only getting worse while they're being placed into this type of segregation. And we definitely saw a pattern of people being released and put back. If you've been put into solitary confinement, your chances of being placed in it again are just that much higher. But do we have to separate that, though? Because not everybody in the prison system is mentally ill. Some in the prison system are murderers and rapists that I would argue people wouldn't have all that much sympathy for them if they're placed in solitary confinement. Well, it, it's not. I mean, it, it, you know, whether people have sympathy for for individuals who are placed in solitary confinement or not, I think we need to understand as a society that we are accountable for how we treat people in prison, um, and that prisoners still have human rights. They're they're being punished. Their punishment is serving their sentence. Um, the judge doesn't say when you serve your sentence of X number of years, you need to serve it in this type of extreme situation of rights violation and deprivation. Um, and so I think that's the difference there. It's that they're already in prison. Um, what are we extra penalizing them for? Is it for the fact that they are unable to adjust to being in that prison? Is it because they have undiagnosed mental health concerns? Um, it's really quite a, a complex situation. And I think that um, in the past, the Correctional Service has used administrative segregation, this form of prolonged and indefinite solitary confinement, as a way to sort of deal with that. Um, and it's a way that we know now is actually harmful and discriminatory. Um, and so it's, it's a question of, um, you know, what what is the point of doing this? It, and it's, it's sort of maybe people listening to the program wouldn't have a lot of sympathy um, for some people who are in prison. Um, I, I think that's not the real question. The real question is, is what do we um, as citizens, of, as Canadians, expect of our government? Do we expect our government to make people um, worse than they were before they entered the prison system? And I think the answer is no. Uh, where do we go from here? What's, uh, what, do you, what do we see happening with this ruling and how it will affect uh, solitary confinement? 
Well, so the ruling uh, was made with an, with a 12-month suspension of the declaration of invalidity, which means the government has a year um, to go back to the drawing board and come up with something different if they want to continue to use solitary confinement for this administrative reason. Um, and so there is already a piece of legislation before the House of Commons that was going to be amending this practice in some ways. Uh, so I guess now the question is whether that would be enough, and I don't think it would be. So they're going to need to perhaps look at that legislation that they've put uh, before the House and see if it may be amended um, in ways that would account for the harms that this judgment has uh, called attention to. All right, uh, Ranji, we'll have to leave it there, but I always appreciate uh, you coming on the show. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks. My pleasure. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.